Worst thing that can happen is you fail. You fail. And it didn't kill you. My God, you learn some lessons. And when you take those lessons and you, that just strengthens your resolve and you know what not to do next time. Hello, you are listening to the High Performance Nursing Podcast with me, Liam Caswell, where I help clinicians just like you take control of their careers and remove all the things stopping you from achieving your biggest goals. Let's dive in. Hello and welcome back to the High Performance Nursing Podcast. Thank you so much for spending your time with us today. We've got a really special guest today, I'm Rob Trimmings. Welcome to the podcast. How are you going? I'm going really well, Liam. Thank you. So excited to have you here. Before we dive in, as always, let's give you a bit of an intro. So Rob is a Queensland nurse educator with 35 years of nursing experience, ranging from the dizzying heights of helicopter retrieval to the high pressure of diving medicine in Brisbane's first hyperbaric chamber. How cool. As a nurse, he identifies as a lover of critical care with a soft spot for rural and remote areas. He is a passionate advocate for nurses and a continuing professional development. Rob lives in Ninky <laughs> in Brisbane and in Butcher. And whilst when he's not traveling with his nursing holidays or his other CPD seminars, he enjoys the four Fs, family, fishing, food, and being funny. I love that so much. He was hospital trained and academically holds a science degree and a master's in emergency nursing. And his motto is putting the science into the art of nursing. How good is that? Welcome. What an amazing 35 years worth of experience we have to dive into today. So tell us in your journey words <laughs> a little bit about your nursing career up until this point and what's led you to this point. Oh, wow. Okay. So long story short, as you said in the intro, I was hospital trained. I trained at the Royal Brisbane Hospital back when it was called the Royal Brisbane Hospital and there was a separate hospital called the Royal Women's. So uh, that was back in the 80s. And from there, it was intensive care and emergency sort of all the way for me and I really loved that sort of high intensity type nursing, that sort of think on your feet, that little bit of chaos. So I gravitated more towards emergency than the nice, calm, settled environment of an ICU. I hope I'm not offending any of my critical care colleagues (laughs) by saying that, but you know, ED nurses and ICU nurses know that we like to have a bit of a go at each other, but I I keep my foot firmly in, in sort of both of those camps clinically today. So I would say as a nurse, I've always identified as an emergency nurse. And that took me into hyperbarics in my personal life. One of my hobbies was diving. I've always been sort of a water person. So, you know, diving and fishing and swimming was, it was, you know, snorkeling was always my thing. So my bride and I both worked at the hyperbaric unit when it first opened in Brisbane at the Weasley Hospital and did some teaching in that space as well. And my interest in emergency also led me into a helicopter retrieval right up until nurses really stopped flying. It's mm-hmm. all paramedics now in Queensland who do flying. So rotor wing I'm talking about. But it's only had to give because I'm not going to go into the science of it, but you can't dive and fly in the same job. So for those days that I was on call for doing a chamber dive, it would mean that I wouldn't be able to fly for 24 to 48 hours after that. So it made it really difficult for me to go on call for flight. So something had to give and a tiny little ad that I applied to, not an ad, but just a like a one-liner that was in our communication book in the emergency department at the PA hospital in Brisbane, where I was working at the time, said, does anyone want to go out to Quilpie for a six-week relief? Now, Quilpy is a little opal mining cattle and sheep farming community at the time population of about 600, 700 people in far southwest Queensland, so about 1,000 kilometres west of Brisbane. 
And <laughs> my wife had just given birth to our second child. So she was baby in arms and Joe was home on maternity leave. So we decided, yeah, why not go for an adventure? And so I went out and did a six-week relief. We stayed for two years and I just fell in love with that big sky country. Oh. And that, you know, that bush nursing and that being a jack of all trades and, you know, being able to apply the skills that I had from my emergency and crit care background to, uh, you know, thinking on your feet in, in a remote rural area. And from there, <laughs> that's half of my career. So from there, it was an opportunity after two years, we stayed. It was only a six-week relief that lasted two years. From there, we came back to Woomba Hospital, where I was given a great opportunity to commence as a nurse educator for rural and remote in Queensland and was part of a team that delivered the popular Ripen nursing program, the Rural and Isolated Practice, then endorsed nursing program. It's no longer an endorsement. It's now an, author, um, an, an extended practice authority is what they call it. And yeah, I did that for 14 years and it really enjoyed education and, but I've always kept myself clinical. Now I run a business, a successful business teaching seminars, taking nurses on holidays and cruises and just generally having the time of my life running fantastic seminars around the country. So yeah. that's where I'm at. I mean, it sounds terrible. No matter how do you cope? <laughs> when you're sitting on a beach in Bali or you're, you're teaching on a cruise boat with a, an espresso martini in your hand and a class of 40 nurses that are all sitting there in their togs with, <laughs> with some fancy pina colada or cocktail or something with an umbrella and a fancy glass sitting in front of you. I mean, that's a pretty tough classroom to have to teach. They get unruly. Yeah, I can imagine, actually. I can't go on nurses, drink, education. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> You've got to find something that you love to do and figure out a way to make it pay your mortgage off. That's really all it is. Yeah. I love that so much. You have so much experience. And we're going to dive into ECT for Health and all of the things. But I'm really curious about your experience as a nurse educator, because it's something, obviously, you're very clearly passionate about. There's sure. lots of people that listen to this podcast that have big goals, you know, they feel like they're never going to get there and working towards a nurse education, that clinical role. What do you think makes a really good nurse educator? What makes a good nurse educator? I think a good nurse educator is someone who knows their topic, who stays in their lane and who has a confidence to be able to teach the stuff that they absolutely love. Because I think that comes through. It's like the old adage that, you know, a good salesman can sell you anything, even if you didn't want the anything. And I think a, a really good nurse educator, you can sit and just listen to and learn from and absorb and soak in their content because of the way that they deliver it. And I think it has to start with passion, Liam. Mm. I really do. I mean, that sounds so cliche. And in every walk of life and in every walk of nursing, You've got to be passionate about what you're doing because your patient knows if your heart's not in it. Well, mm. in a classroom, nurses who attend my sessions, they know if my heart's not in it. They know when I'm having a rough week. The session just doesn't seem to be delivered with the passion and the enthusiasm that I believe I have to bring to that game. Mm. So I think you've got to have that opportunity to listen to what your participants want, what, what nurses want to learn and feed into that knowledge deficit because they're there for a reason that you didn't know about when they enrolled in your course. Mm, you don't yeah. know. They might've enrolled in one of my two day cardiac courses. And the only thing they really wanted to get out of it is why we no longer have STEMIs and non-STEMIs. 
what are the new categories for myocardial infarct? Now, I know a thousand nurses are now going to be running to Google to go, what? What is that about? Well, we can talk about coming to some of our education later on to update. But, you know, what I'm saying is that people will enroll in a nurse education course for a number of reasons. And you as the teacher don't always know that. So you've got to be able to tick as many boxes as what you can to see if you can get the hits. Yeah. And for me, I think it's really important to demonstrate passion and enthusiasm for your content. Yeah, I would totally agree. I think some of the best educators that I've worked with and seen and, and been presented to, but like you know, they've presented to me, have been those that just deeply love the topic that they're talking about. And they've gone above and beyond right, to explore it and to really know the intricacies of it. And also be open to not knowing all of the answers. Because I think sometimes there's a perception that as an educator that we have all the answers and disclaimer, we don't. <laughs> and some, <laughs> we don't. We do our best to make it up on the spot. <laughs> no, but, but equally, Liam, and I really want, I want to drill down on that point because you've really touched on a nerve here. For me, I believe it's my responsibility as a teacher to know my topic well enough that I can service 95% of the questions that are going to come my way if they're about that topic, yeah? So if I'm teaching on some respiratory physiology content, I think I have to have a depth of knowledge so that if a curly left of field question comes related to the content that I am teaching, I can unpack that question and answer that question to the benefit of not only the person who answered it, but also to the benefit of others in the room who may only then realize, gee, that was a really good question. I wish I knew the answer to that as well. And I think that really value adds. So you're absolutely right. If you don't know the answer, be honest, because they'll see straight through you if you don't. But I think you have a responsibility to make sure that you're very well read in that space. And, and that, again, is where I come back to my first comment, and that is stay in your lane. If you're a nurse educator and your passion in your area is science or your passion in your area is emergency or your passion in your area is, I don't know, toenail clipping, know everything there is to know about toenail clipping, but don't try and teach people how to wear yellow hats. Yeah. Because yeah. <laughs> that's not the space. Yeah, and I think that also applies to just nursing in general, right? And your career, you know, if you're in a specialty, I think sometimes we can get bogged down by like thinking that we need to know everything. And maybe we are like a pediatric nurse that works specifically in burn, for example. And staying in your lane within that space allows you to really deepen and specialize and strengthen your knowledge base. What I see and hear a lot of the time, and I'm sure you come across this as well, is people that think they need to know everything. So they kind of cognitively overload themselves and overwhelm. Yep themselves yep. in the sense that they think that by going specialized that they then don't know how to nurse outside of that but there's a benefit to diving deep into a topic especially if you're really sure that that's where you want to be in your career totally correct stay yeah. in your lane yeah i mean from the most inexperienced of graduate nurse through to the most wise and experienced of nurses towards the end of their retirement. They all can see through an educator that really doesn't know what they're talking about. Yeah. It is so funny, isn't it? I find education is one of the, I think it's one of the best roles in the hospital. I mean, you're kind of the meat in the sandwich between like management and the staff, <laughs> but you just have such an ability to impact and influence staff the culture and, you know, the excitement around education. It's not just a role where you stand up and present. A lot of people think, oh, you know, they're educated, they nip off to the office and do some PowerPoint slides and come back and that's it. But there is so much to it. You have to be innovative, creative. You have to really think outside the box. And you really do hold the, the responsibility most of the time 
for the development of the culture and the development of practice clinically. And that can be for maybe 40 staff, but it could also be for hundreds of staff, depending on your portfolio. Totally true. And I think that's why, I mean, I've always believed that nurse educators are leaders. And I think that that is a very, very important part of a leader is somebody who can be followed, yeah. somebody who others will want to follow. And if that is that you are um, exploding dogma, which I think is a vital thing for a nurse educator to do is to not perpetually teach the stuff that they were taught, but to actually really, really challenge the dogma, challenge the way that we think, challenge the way that we learn, challenge the way that we do things, challenge policy and create change because in some places change is needed. I think being that change agent makes you the leader and again, makes you a really, really effective educator. It's a role that I absolutely love, but there's a really fine line between the educator who is just the teacher and the educator who is just the marker and the educator who is just the presenter and the educator who is just juggling 10 balls to try and tick boxes for an organization that wants everybody to meet their mandatory requirements. Some of those roles can be a little bit soul destroying. And, you know, the difference between a staff development coordinator and a nurse educator, I think can be really blurry sometimes. And it's really, really important if you are a nurse educator and that's the role that you identify with, or that's a role that you aspire to, that you make some very, very clear inroads into what your specialty is going to be and how you would differentiate your role as a nurse educator from mm. someone who just merely ticks boxes and gets competencies done. Yeah, that's so true. There's such a, an innovative aspect of that role, right? Because you've got to really got to do that gap analysis and look at what people need. Like you said at the start, I always teach people with CVs and interviews, you're giving the organization what they need, right? Not what you think they want. And that's so important in a nurse education role. I'm curious from your experience, what do you think the gaps are? I mean, we could probably talk forever on it, but I see a lot of non-clinical gaps, clinical and non-clinical, but in a nurse education role, I think people tend to just really focus on the clinical aspects of the role yep. and might shy away from the touchy-feely, you know, the woo-woo mindset stuff. And that's totally. what I think personally we need to be refocusing. So the gaps are conspicuous by their absence, yeah? And I think the biggest gap in nursing, the biggest hands-down gap in nurse education, not in the education delivery, but the biggest gap within a functioning nurse has to be self-care. That's the biggest. And the last two years has demonstrated that to wow. us as a cohort. So I don't think we care about our own well-being enough. We give lip service to it. We sit in the mm -hmm. tea room and occasionally we'll put our iPhone down when somebody else is in the tea room and engage with another human being. We will engage occasionally engage with each other and we'll grizzle and we'll whinge about how tough things are. And then we'll go back to feeling miserable about how tough things are without doing anything about it. And I think that we need to have enough self-love to be able to recognize that our own well-being, our own mental health and our own fortification of the blood, sweat and tears that we put into becoming a nurse in the first place is meaningful and worth something. I think that's the biggest deficit. The second thing comes back to good clinical practice, and that is I think far too many nurses do because there's a policy that says you do without understanding that why you're doing what you're doing. Yeah. So I think the vast majority of this industry is peppered with, seasoned with nurses who will just follow rules because mm. the rules are there without really understanding why the rules are there or understanding why it is that they're doing what they've been asked to do. 
So a set of tasks is being performed. This is the way that we do it here on this ward. This is the way you will do it on this ward. It just is the policy. Mm. That's the way it is. And they'll go to work and they'll carry out the tasks, but won't really have any great deep understanding as to why. And I mean, I'd love to throw examples in there and I I don't want to steal too much time on this, but an example was I had a class of nurses just a week and a half ago. And I was talking about deep breathing, the deep breathing exercises that we might ask a patient to do post-op. Why do we deep breathe? And I was just met with a class of silence. Oh, well, you know, because when they come out of anesthetic, you know, some of the answers that were dribbling out were when they come out of anesthetic, they're not breathing up. So they need to breathe up so they don't get lung collapse and all of the rest of it. And when I said, can anybody draw a link for me between deep breathing and preventing DVTs? And there was just, again, this this realization, oh, that's right. We learned that years ago. Oh yeah, that's right. When we take a deep breath, we're causing negative pressure and we're dragging blood back to our heart and that's promoting venous return and venous return promotes, you know, or reduces venous stasis and that reduces clotting and, oh yeah, that's right. So that prevents PEs. And, you know, it was that idea that we're too busy at work to stop and think why it is that we're asked to do the things that we do, where the rationale sits, And I think that's a real deficit in nursing. And I think that's something that education has to offer. We've got to take you back to a classroom and we've got to take you back to a classroom to teach you stuff you already know, which is 75% of what I do. Yeah. You're not coming to my courses to learn brand new stuff. You're coming to my courses to learn that you know this. And in that comes an anxiety reduction. This idea that, oh, I am good enough. I do know enough. I do know what I'm doing. I went and refreshed what I thought I knew, but I was a little unsure on. I think that it's important for nurses to realize that I need to know why it is that they're doing what they're doing. Yeah, I totally agree. We've done a lot of work recently with the unis. I'm not blaming the unis, but it's just something I've observed that there is that gap between the why we do what we do and the task. And it's very task driven. And yeah, you know, that needs to change immensely. And it's kind of impacting our graduates that are coming out and that it's having a trickle effect because other people are seeing it and they're not questioning it. And ultimately, you know, I always say to people when it comes down to it and you God forbid are in that apricot of conduct situation where you're, you know, being in- investigated for something that you've done, the too busy narrative, oh, it just is never going to land, right? Like it's never going to yeah. land. That task focused approach, we've got to understand why we're doing what we're doing. And it's interesting because I see a correlation between our lack of understanding of the why in clinical and then our lack of understanding of the why we do the job that we do in the career space. And I see that a lot where people are like, oh, well, I just, I'm here because John, my mate says it'll be a great ICU nurse, you know, like, but what do you want to do? And why do you want to do ICU? There's that disconnect there. So it's so interesting to see how it comes across into the non-clinical stuff as well. Liam, we want to care. Yeah. We want to care for our patients. We want them to feel safe. We want them to feel comforted. We want them to feel that somebody cares about them and that somebody's got their back. And we can't do that if we don't know what we're doing. If we're just ticking boxes and meeting KPIs and filling out color-coded bloody ob sheets, sorry, shouldn't have said that, (laughs) but color-coded ob sheets, none of which have any consistency across the country. There's another bugbear. Then we have to ask the question, why are we nursing? And if we're so time pressured, if we're so busy that we can't care, it's, it's time to leave the industry. Yeah, totally. 
I totally agree. We could go on forever in that space, but we've got oh, yeah. much more important things to talk about. As we wrap up around the education space and your experience in that realm, I'd love to ask you to share some tips. Like, what would you say are some of your top tips for anybody that's in a nurse education role that you would love to impart? Okay, find a topic you love and just know everything about it that you can. Be that walking encyclopedia on that one thing because that becomes your point of difference, yeah? So if you're going to set yourself up as a cardiac educator, you better know what's going on in the cardiac world. Straightforward. If you are a trauma educator, you better be well-read in the space of trauma. So know what you're doing. Uh, again, that comes back to stay in your lane. You know, Stay in your lane. Don't try and be the all-encompassing educator that just, I'm just a generic generalist. Don't be that person because you'll spend every waking hour having to keep up to date. So that would be my first tip is to find your passion and then learn everything you can about that passion. Start practicing teaching your colleagues. Mm. Be the one at work who takes somebody who's confused or stressed, another nurse who's confused or stressed about what they're doing aside and coach them. Be their, their, their training wheels until such time as you can see their confidence and their shoulders drop and they're just... I really like to work with this person. You know what I'm talking about, Liam, when you've got that one colleague that you're working with who is invested in making sure that you have a good shift. I think that that's a really, really important attribute to bring to nurse education because it gives you a sense of, oh, you're caring for the carer, but it gives you a sense of approachability. And I think that a good educator is somebody who is approachable. I do think you need to be able to take the academic jargon and develop a way of being able to simplify that content to make it achievable to a cohort of nurse who doesn't necessarily want to jump in and read academic papers every week. And let's face it, there, there are those that do, you know, X percentage of nurses who work clinically will be in a journal club or will subscribe to a journal or subscribe to a, a society, you know, like a renal society or an ICU society or an A&E society, emergency department society, whatever. But there is a, a large chunk of nurses who seriously just want to go to work and care for people and know that they're doing a good job. And if they recognize they have a deficit in education and therefore they will look to a nurse educator to help them to close that gap, to identify where their deficits are and to be able to close that gap without any stress. Not every nurse wants to be told to go and do a master's or a grad cert. And I know that we're moving towards a really academic arrangement. And believe me, I've been through that same dark patch where, oh, you'll never be anything in this industry, Robert, unless you go and get some academic qualifications. And, you know, I, I hate to say that's the way that nursing seems to be at the moment. But at the end of the day, there is, an, there is a cohort of nurses out there that just want to be a nurse and they just want to know what they're doing and they don't want to be anxious at work doing it. And they don't want to have that imposter syndrome while they're doing it. And I think that a good educator is somebody who has got a skill set to help to edify that person and help to teach them in a way that's not so academic. Mm -hmm. But I think that's one of the things that I'd like to think that I bring to the party is that I'm a, I really am a bogan academic. I'm not somebody who's going to sprout author after author after author after author at you just to prove a point that this particular yep. statement's true. But at the end of the day, I'd like to think that the information that I teach was bite-sized pieces that were achievable and understandable and not anxiety provoking. I love that so much. So that would be one. Simplify your content and know your content. They would be the two big ones. Yeah. So be a nice person. Stop telling people to go to the textbooks. If you don't know, know, say you don't know. 
and say, why don't we go and look it up together? I mean, it's good for you. If you don't know the answer to a question you've been asked as an educator, go and go and find out. It's no. a great bit of homework. I think that it's important that we're challenged by our colleagues as educators. Don't see that as a challenge. Don't see it as a slur. See it as a positive challenge. I think it's so important. I think as educators, that creation of psychological safety, right, within the space that we're teaching and educating and the topics that we're talking about sometimes can be really confronting and challenging like death or you know, something a bit more morbid. That psychologically safe space and having fun with it has such an impact Got to have people's fun. ability to, you know, learn and to absorb the information. So I couldn't agree with you more. And I love that term, Bogan academic, as a, a doctor. Oh, <laughs> well, you know, I'd love to claim it. But at the end of the day, it was actually something that somebody wrote in a review, an online review of one of my courses. You know, it's it's refreshing to have an educator who's a Bogan. He's just a Bogan academic. And I didn't know whether that was a backhanded compliment or not, but I'm happy to wear that. I'm just another bloke who's a nurse and I teach and I talk the way that I teach, you know, and, you know, if you're going to throw all the big words at people, don't expect like some arrogant ass that you're going to expect that everybody knows what you're talking about. Break the terms down, dispel the jargon. And I think that that makes you a whole lot more achievable. I love that so much. Let's talk about ECT for Health and the amazing okay. work you do in that space. Tell us about how you came. To, obviously, you've got so much experience in this world. Tell us about how you came to kind of found and open ECT for Health. Okay. So working as a nurse educator in a, a Queensland government facility, you know, every three or four years, there's a change in government or there's an election. So this particular year, so we're talking eight years ago, eight, nine years ago now, there was an election. There was a changing of the guard. You know, you have the blue team in at one time and then that becomes the red team or the red team are in and then it becomes the blue team. You know, the, the green team and the yellow team are always out on the, on the periphery, but I'm not going to get political, but there was a changing of the political agenda, shall we say. And you know, when a state government is elected and new state government's elected into office, they always want to put their own stamp on all of the government departments, the state government, you know, so the main roads get a stamp and health gets a stone stamp. They flavor every department with their agendas. And one of the agendas of the new government who came in was to shorten Queensland Health's one of the agendas. There were many agendas, but one of the agendas of the new government when they were elected was to shorten the elective waiting lists, you know, the elective surgery waiting lists, people waiting for hips and knees and whatever other elective surgery, which was a noble pursuit. But where were we going to find the money to do it? Nurses, they don't need any education. Let's pull the nurse education program around the state and use that money, which would a great chunk of money. Yeah. And then to the nurse educators around the state, they said, right now, you've got to change the way you do things. No longer will you be able to deliver face-to-face education. You won't be able to go and travel to those little regional hospitals with classrooms of nurses that never get any education, that always have to travel to the big smoke. You won't be able to do that anymore. You'll have to do everything online. Now, to the nurse educators that were working within that industry, within that structure, some of them are face-to-face teachers, yeah? And Mm -hmm. some of them are okay with the online space. This old dog is a face-to-face teacher. I'm a stand-up in front of a class, tell the dad jokes, teacher. So it didn't sit with me. So I resigned from my position because... I was asked to do a job that I didn't sign up for. And after 14 years and 30 odd years working in, in 25 years working for the organization, I decided to do the one thing that was the dream. And that was to start my own business as a nurse educator. So I did. So we started ECT for Health back on International Nurses Day, the 12th of May, 2007 is 
sort of 2014 it was. Mm-hmm. So there you go. Oh, so wow. so Me for Health started out of my disillusionment with the fact that my job was going to dramatically change. I'll be honest with you and the listeners, Liam, it wasn't because I had sour grapes. It's because I was scared. I didn't understand online education. I was from a different era in nurse education. I was a face-to-face classroom teacher Mm. and I didn't want to have to learn my job all over again to meet the brief, to meet the new brief. So I decided, well, surely I'm not the only nurse in Queensland that or Australia that wants face-to-face classroom style, conference style, holidays and cruise style education CPD delivery. So we decided to give it a crack and it worked. It worked. It was a rocky road for a while and I made no income whatsoever for the first five years. We made absolutely nothing. We just kept the lights on. We covered our overheads and I worked clinically as a nurse casually doing rural and remote contracts just to, you know, to pay the family bills, to help pay, uh, contribute to the family bills. My wife's also a nurse. But yeah, so after, after about sort of five years, we started to be able to make some profit and we enjoyed that for a year and then COVID hit <laughs> and we couldn't get into a classroom. But uh, look, we've done seven cruises. We've had holidays to places like Bali and Fiji and New Zealand and all over Australia. We do wineries and all sorts of exciting things because nurses want a holiday and they love a tax deductible holiday. So why not smash some CPD out at the same time? So. We're off to Fraser next week or week after next. We've got 45 nurses coming to Fraser Island. So that's very cool. Amazing. I love this idea so much. I need to get myself on one of these. I need to come to one of them. Well, here's the deal, Liam. You come on one of our cruises or one of our conferences, overseas conferences, uh, you'll be doing a session for us, right? That's how how this is going to work. (laughs) We'll do a a well-being or a coaching session or something that you're good at because this is what I see in your work, Liam, is that Mm. you're the person who an education organization needs, someone who's really, really passionate about staying in your lane and that's exactly what you do yeah i love that uh, thank you well i'll take you up in that for sure <laughs> deal. i love that before we dive into the the conferences and all of the amazing work that you do it's interesting i was actually approached by a nurse in queensland an educator this week who was telling me a very similar story about the fact that they're taking money away again from education and that they're both not surprising <laughs> it's always happening hey but it's just it's so inspiring to hear your story and you know nursepreneurship is not easy it is definitely not easy i'm curious what what are some of the lessons or main insights that yep. you've, you've experienced over the, the last eight years? Don't go into debt, number one. So start small. Have a big dream, but start really small. Don't book out 15 conference venues and hope that everybody will turn up until you've got yourself a name. ECT for Health is starting to develop a name in Australia as an education provider for nurses, CPD. And for that reason, we're starting to now get Oh God, it's a crude term, but bums on seats. You know, people are starting to come to our conferences and making them viable. In the early days, we had to cancel quite a lot of courses because we didn't meet the overheads of the venue costs. So so yeah, don't bite off more than you can chew. Don't go into debt. I guess that, that they were the big ones. The other is that if you're going to be a nurse entrepreneur, often the model would be, so at the moment, I have some big clients, so Queensland Health are my client and a number of private hospitals are my client, Victorian Health Department, my client. TAFE, my clients. So I've got a number of big clients around the country, prisons, many prisons, my clients. And what happens is that they book me for some education that I might not deliver for six months, 12 months, but they want to pay that money because they need to get it out of their budget, right? 
And it usually happens in about sort of March to May every year. They pay these big chunks of money and it comes into our bank account just to get out of their bank account. But of course, might not be delivered until September, August, November sort of Mm -hmm. thing. I have learned that if you're going to be a nurse who charges for what you do, don't spend that money. <laughs> don't don't invest that money into your business until such time as the job has been done. Because if anything should happen like COVID and the job gets cancelled or the cruise boat cancels or the whatever cancels, all of that money's got to be repaid back. And if, if you've already paid that out, it falls back on you and your family budget and your mortgage to have to find that money to repay those clients back or to refund those clients back. And I don't begrudge refunding anyone. This is what business is all about. You refund for people who can't attend your program for whatever reason. But my God, don't spend that money before you know that the gig's been done. And for that reason, you know, my billing system works out that if I've got a corporate client, I'll charge a deposit, but then I don't ask for payment until the end, until the gig's been run, because I can't trust myself not to spend it on good Irish whiskey. (laughs) I love that. That's such a good tip, such good insights. And I think entrepreneurship from a coaching perspective, it requires you to level up your mindset. Hey, like you've got to be open to all the failure, open to all of the success, like open to blowing your own mind about income levels and what's possible based on yep. what you've learned in the past. There's so many things that it throws up as a challenge, but it's one that now that I'm in it, I will never look back. You know, I think that NFT that makes a shift for sure. You know, you've done um, the hard yards. Yeah. Yeah. Like once you learn how to do it, you can do it moving forward for sure. So it's so exciting. So tell us more about these amazing courses that you do and these offerings. I'm interested in the cruise ship. (laughs) Back to the theme of staying in your lane. So the courses that I do, I've got three main sort of product lines, you could say product lines. So if we can call my courses or my education products. So I've got products that I do as an online (laughs) <laughs> there's the irony. I started this business because I was never going to do online, but then COVID happened and I had to do online to keep the lights on. So there's online programs and they're available 24 hours a day for nurses who want to book a seminar, say a cardiac seminar, 10 CPD, and it's Zoom-based video. That's all pre-recorded. They can watch it as many times as they like. They get a certificate, they get a resource, and they've got you know 24-hour access to me to ask questions if need be. So I like to have that interaction. So That's online products. So we've got wound care and cardiac and respiratory and high dependency nursing and all sort of all acute care areas. There's some stuff on diabetes, wounds, rhythm interpretation, blood gas analysis, all of those from little two hour sessions through to, you know, 10 to 12 hour sessions. So that's the online stuff. Then there's the equivalent, but it's me live in a classroom face to face. And the classrooms are usually four star hotels. In fact, they are all four-star hotels. So I will book a venue, usually a hotel, and I, I don't want to get brandest, but a hotel like a, a Novotel or a Mercure or a, or a Mantra or a you know that, that sort of level of quality hotel conference room and run conferences. And they're run predominantly in Queensland at the moment until the country opens up fully, but around the country and also in New Zealand. We do some in New Zealand as well will be next year now that we're open. And then those exact same products, they can be run on cruise boats or on holidays. So for example, the month before COVID hit, so COVID hit in December, 2019, November, 2019, we took 40, 42, 43 nurses to Bali. We did a conference in the Sofitel in Bali or the Pullman, the Pullman in Bali at Legian Beach. And that went really, really well. 
So that's our face-to-face sort of. So we have our online products, our face-to-face products, and they can be in hotels in a space near you, or they can be in your facility if your facility books us. And so that's the third product. The third product range is an organization will book me to come and teach a group of their staff. And it's a it can be bespoke. So they can be courses. They say, oh, look, I really like those three sessions out of your cardiac. I really like those three sessions out of your high dependency. I really like those three sessions out of your renal day. Can we put them all together in a two-day program with some cardiac, some renal, some respiratory, a bit of this, a bit of that, and make a wish list, essentially, mm-hmm. a, a, a potpourri <laughs> of topics and deliver that as a bespoke course. And so they're my corporate clients and that might be Queensland Health as an example, asked me to go to Dumaji, Normanton, Julia Creek to run an advanced clinical skill workshop with a bunch of topics that they selected from my cohort of topics. Yeah. So they're the three, they're the sort of the three products that we run and everything that I teach from the one hour sessions all the way through to, you know, the big full one week rural and remote preparation course that I do can be broken up into tiny little chunks and delivered anywhere in the country. Mm-hmm. So I will go to the smallest of little place. What is it? Build it and they will come. Well, yeah. I built it. Now you've just got to invite me and I'll come. <laughs> <laughs> and I guess this is the point of difference, Liam. ECT for Health is a small enough company that we'll go to the little places for a group of 10. We're not a big player in the education world. I'd like to think we make a big dent in the education world, but we're not a big player in the nurse education world. I won't mention my competitors' names. That's not appropriate in this format, but there are some very big competitors that I have who won't go outside of places like Sydney, Melbourne, Brisbane. Yeah. They won't go to the smaller regional areas simply because it's not part of their business model. I do. And so that's what I'd like to think was a point of difference with us. When I come on a cruise, then you come on a cruise with us and the whole thing becomes a tax deductible expense, providing the tax laws don't change. We like that very much. Love that. That's so amazing. So many amazing products. This is all available on your website. Totally. And we'll make sure all of that in the show notes in the bio. I'm curious, do you have a favorite course to teach? Yes. What is it? I'm an unadulterated science geek. (laughs) So there's a tiny little course that I have online and it's just called physiology with rob (laughs) it's such a hedonistic name for a course but it's physiology with rob and it's all the you know the cell biology stuff and the understanding the chemistry and the renin angiotensin aldosterone cascade and how the kidney works and you know fat metabolism and protein metabolism it's all of that geeky stuff respiratory membranes and how gas exchange takes place and what is the effect of putting oxygen on a patient? How does that actually get into the blood? How does a red blood cell do what it does? That kind of stuff. That's the stuff I love to teach. That's the stuff I love to learn. And so anytime anybody asks me a geeky sciencey question, I'm your guy. (laughs) I will pause whatever it is that I'm teaching, even if it's completely off topic, and I'll answer that question to the best of my ability. I love that. For everybody listening, you obviously can't see Rob, but he got very excited there. Oh, <laughs> very powerful. I'm very passionate about that. And I'm sure that, that comes through in your face-to-face trainings and all of the trainings that you deliver. It's so awesome. Gotta love so, what you do. Yeah, of course. You know, it's palpable. As we wrap up, I would love to ask a final question. What do you wish every nurse could have knew or understood? Like, What would be your message to people listening based on your experience and what you see coming in the future for healthcare, what would be a kind of piece of wisdom or advice that you would offer? Ask. 
find that champion at work who you want to be when you grow up and model your behavior on their behavior and pick their brains. Ask, 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 ask. Ask questions. Be that person in a classroom that when the lunch break bell goes at midday and it's still one minute past midday and everyone just wants to go to lunch, be that one person in the classroom that puts the hand up and says, I've got one final question before we go to lunch. Be that person who stays behind at the end of the session just to ask the questions of the educator that you wanted to ask. (laughs) <laughs> of the educator, but we're afraid that everybody would come down on you if you asked the question, yeah? Yeah. Ask, ask, ask. Find a clinical facilitator to teach you how to do what you do. Find somebody who does what they do well and model your behavior on that person. And for God's sake, get a mentor. If you don't have it, I've got eight mentors. I have eight mentors. Four of them are nurses. A mentor does not have to be somebody that's even in your industry. One of my mentors is the late, great Robin Williams. There is an element of every one of my mentors that I aspire to be like. And I think it's really important to know where you want to be when you grow up. I'm 54 and I don't know if I've grown up yet. But I love Look, I think it's really, really important to have a mentor. Yeah. I mean, so many people think that they put so much pressure on themselves to know, to know like at 21 when they finish the degree and you don't need to know. And there's no knowing the how, like just take the, you said this in one of your responses, like take the action, just do the thing, do the contracts, take it, move, sample, all of the things. And I guess that's why I do what I do, right? Is having been an educator and a a nursery manager, I know the power of mentorship and coaching for clinicians. And I think it's fundamentally the missing piece. Worst thing that can happen is you fail. You fail and it didn't kill you. No, it's just a feeling. But my God, you learn some lessons. And when you take those lessons and you, that just strengthens your resolve and it it fortifies, you know what not to do next time. Yeah, love it. So you've good. got to learn from your mistakes. <laughs> yeah. What would say? Yeah, failure. Success is built on failure. You know, with that. Yeah, well, I hate the word failure. I hate the word yeah. failure. You've got to, but you have to learn from those experiences in life that didn't go as well as what you had anticipated. Shall we say? Yeah, I love that. So good. <laughs> well, thank you so much for your time. Where can people find out more about you? Everybody listening must go to um, the website, and we'll make sure. <laughs> Look, I'm really old school. I don't do the Instagram, but Facebook. Yeah, absolutely. The best and quickest and easiest way to find us is just look for ECT. The number Number four, health, all one word, ECT for health on Facebook. Say you heard about us on Liam's podcast on high performance nursing, one of my favorite podcasts, I might add. But our website is just the name of the business. So it's www.ectforhealth.com.au. We're Australian. So .com.au. Australian owned, nurse owned and operated with passion and dad jokes and all the bogan academia you want. (laughs) <laughs> I love that. That needs to be your slogan. If that's not your slogan, that needs to be- uh, putting science into the art of nursing. That's my, that's my slogan. You're also on YouTube, right? Is at ECT for Health. Oh yeah, uh, I've got yeah. There's podcast. YouTube and there's a podcast that I've got as well. I, I haven't done much on the podcast. It's called uh, ET Opics, so Ectopics. 
Yeah. It's a play on play on words. So ectopic. So if you just do a podcast search for ectopics, of course, you would have to be listening to Liam's podcast first and then come and have a listen to a few that I've got. I've got a similar format on my ectopics podcast, Liam. I, I interview a few nurses who are specialists in their field, more from a clinical standpoint and sort of pick their brains. There's some fantastic podcasts that are up there from some great speakers that talk about things like sleep and nursing and self-care and just lots and lots of stuff. Yeah. Anyway, lots and lots of things. So yeah, podcast, I've got the YouTube again, ECT for health on the, look, look for it on YouTube. We do have an Instagram channel, but it's not terribly active. Facebook's probably where you're going to find most of my stuff. And there's a blog as well. And of course the website where you can get all of our products. Amazing. Make sure everybody listening goes and follows on uh, Facebook and go and buy a course, go and do something, invest and do something something fun with Rob and learn all the amazing skills. Rob, thank you so much for what you do in healthcare and nursing. Loved our chat. Thank you so much for your time. And we'll have to do this again. Look, I'm totally on board with that. And I'm going to have to get you on my ectopics when I do another episode. It's been a while. Love it. Maybe we can do it on a cruise ship, right? Maybe that's a deal. <laughs> I'm sold. I am sold. All righty. Thanks for listening, everybody. Check out all the links in the show notes and we'll see you in the next episode. See you, folks. Bye. If you've enjoyed listening to this podcast episode, please take a wee minute to leave a review. It would mean the absolute world to me. If you are ready to start taking action in your career and you need some support, why wait? Come and join my private Facebook community. The link is in the show notes below. Within the community, we take what we discuss in this podcast and we put it into action. Currently, I am looking for nurses who are ready to stop playing small and invest in themselves to create the life and the career they want to live. If that sounds like you, then please get in touch. Until next time, thanks for listening. Stay safe and stay forever curious, my nursing friends.